again, church, for all the kindness, the good fellowship. It sure is a blessing to, to know that there are people that love the Lord all over this world. Amen. Sometimes we get the mindset that we're the only ones. And uh, the Lord reminds you that there are folks who love Him and serve Him uh, all around the globe, unless you're a flat earther, and then I guess that's not possible, right? All right, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3. We're going to, really we're going to deal with this entire chapter, but uh, not, uh, there'll be certain parts we focus on more than others. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, just to cut to the chase, that means if you're saved. Okay, if you're saved and you are risen with Christ, we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you're saved, you're already there. You may not feel like you're there, but you're there. Okay, if you then be risen with Christ, if that's true of your position, that's who you are, you're saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and your faith in that work. Then the Bible says, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, that's your position, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now based on that truth, that that's your position in Christ, here's what the Bible says. Mortify, therefore, and this is so strange how the Bible does this. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Doesn't, I mean, if you just stop and think, you can say, time out. Okay, let me. Isn't everything on earth? Well, he just told you you're seated with him in heaven. That's your position. Now he's telling you because that's true of who you are in Christ, you've got some work to do here. Okay? So mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. And here, here's where I want you to see this, okay? Verse number 9 and 10 is going to lay out this difference for us. Seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Okay, the, the Bible's telling you, you have already done this. And yet the Bible's telling you in this chapter, you need to do this. Isn't that strange? You say, well, I don't understand. Well, one is, in Christ, this is done. But in my daily practical living, I've got a job to do. Okay? It's true in Christ. That's my position. But what about my practice? And so he says in verse number 9, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him which created him, uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, uh, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. So, yes, you have put on the new man, but now you need to put on these things. He said, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and blood, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, 
forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, okay, all these things are great to put on that he's told you to put on. But above all those things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let's pray. Father, I need your help this morning. I pray that you'd help me to be a help to your people. Uh, Lord, these, uh, these things really, really, really help me, and I pray you'd use them to help your people now. And Father, just help us to see something from the Scripture that will not only impact us these next few moments, but Lord, help it to be something that will really change our lives. What a blessing it would be if we could get something out of the Bible that would change our course. And I pray you'd help me with this this afternoon, oh Lord, to help me to be a blessing to your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I, I want to lay some groundwork, and then I'm, I want to preach to you the last few moments, the thought that's on my mind here. Uh, first, I hope you understand the difference. A lot of people use standing in state, okay? You've probably heard those phrases, uh, those words. My problem is I always forget which one's which, okay? Maybe I'm just not smart enough. And they say, well, you know, your standing's this and your state's this. And then I can argue both. And I say, oh, no, I forgot which one's standing. So I just said, forget all that because I can't remember which one's which. So I say position and practice. I, I'm sure that's not original with me. Somebody else came up with it. But for this simple mind, it works better. Okay? So your position in Christ. That's who you are because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary and you put your faith in that work and now you're holy and you're righteous and you're spotless and you're pure and, and all these great things that you are because of what Jesus did for you. We will continue, I, I, I think in, in heaven, uh, that he's going to continue to ex explain and show the riches of his grace to us. I don't think we know the half of what Jesus has done for us just yet. It's, it's one of those deals where you get in and you say, man, this is great. I'm not going to hell. And then they say, but wait, there's more. And you just keep learning and learning. You say, my goodness, I can't believe that God would do all this for me. And, and then say, no, 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 that's, just, that's not even a third of it. I mean, this is just, this thing's going to keep growing. And that's because of who you are in Christ. That's your position. The Bible says right there in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ. That's your position. You are risen with him. In other words, here's what the Bible's saying in Colossians chapter 3. Just to, just to give it real simply, if you're saved, act like it. Okay? If you're saved, act like it. So if you then be risen with Christ, then he's going to tell you something to do. If this is true of you positionally, then I'm going to give you something to do. But I want to show you, verse number 3, this is also your position in Christ. It says, for ye are dead. Now doesn't that sound like a blessing? Doesn't that sound strange? You say, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm here. I can't be dead. Do you realize before we got saved, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now we're a new kind of dead. Okay? This is a much better kind of dead, if that's possible. I mean, that's what it says. Is that not what For ye are dead. It's got to be good because he said, and your life is hid. It's like the perfect game of hide and seek right here. Okay? Your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, if it just said you are dead, we might question whether that's good or not. But it says you're, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's got to be good. You say, what all does that mean? I have no idea what all that means, but it has to be good, right? And that's your position in Christ. Uh, and when, look at verse number 4. When Christ, who is our life, that's your position. He is your life. 
Okay? You're dead, but he's your life. It's kind of like Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20 that says that we're dead, but we're alive because Christ is alive. But it's not me, it's Christ living in me, right? And so this is our position in God. Thank God for your position. And let me just say this. I am so thankful for this. Our position never changes. This is not something where one day I'm risen with Christ and the next day he comes up to me there in heaven and says, you know what? I changed my mind. You're out of here. People say, well, you can lose your salvation. I say, if you can lose your salvation, here's what, what's going to happen. The Lord's going to have to come, because you're already there. He's going to have to come grab you by the neck and toss you out of there. Because you're already there. I mean, this, that, this, this, the Bible calls this eternal life. Amen. The Bible calls it everlasting life. Can I just give you a little simple illustration? Because this is the way the stuff helps me. If I said my glasses are going to be right here for all eternity. If I walk away, no matter what happens, if those glasses are moved from that spot, then I was wrong. Okay? Now, maybe I pick them up and move them. Well, I lied. Maybe they're sitting there and somebody else, you know, there are some sneaky folks in here. I'm sure you come up and you grab them and you run off with them. Then I was not aware of the future. If God says that I give unto them eternal life, if I can give it back, if somebody else can take it, if the Lord can pull it back himself, then it was never eternal life. Man, that's a blessing that we have that position in Christ. I, I never, ever, and some people think this is strange. I'm not, I don't say this egotistically at all. It's all because of Christ. But there's not been a night that I go to bed that I think, oh, no, what if I die? Amen. I don't think that. People say, well, you know, what, I mean, what if you go to sleep and you don't wake up? Well, that's great news. Well, what do you mean that's great news? I'm in the presence of the Almighty God. The worst thing that can happen to us on this earth is the best thing that can happen to us. How incredible is that? That's our position. Isn't that a blessing to be saved and sealed and you're not worried about it? You know the people that are constantly worried about their salvation never get to a place of service. You can't serve somebody. You can't witness for somebody you don't even know if you're going. Well, hey, I'd like to tell you about what the Lord's done for, you know, people. And I'd like to tell you that uh, there's this place called heaven. I don't know if I'm going there, but it's, I, I hear it's great, and I'm sure you'll love it. But, it. but just so you know, even if you sign on the dotted line today, we're not sure about this. What a package deal, right? No, it's horrible. I am thankful for this great position that I have in Christ. I hope you are. But here's what the Bible says in verse 1. If, if that's true, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Come on, your position is you're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then verse number five comes back to this thought. Now let's talk about your practice. You've got this wonderful position. Let's talk about your practice. And he begins in verse number five, says, okay, what's on the earth? The part of you that's here. He said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. How about we get, we need to do a little cleanup, okay? We need to do a little cleanup. Fornication, not going to cut it, okay? Not good. That's wicked. Uncleanness, not good. 
Inordinate affection, horrible. Evil concupiscence, horrible. Covetousness. We say, no, which is idolatry. The Lord said, all this stuff's evil. It's not true of you in your position in Christ. Thank God. Because when the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of His Son. But when you look at you, you don't see that. Right? So, so this is something that helped me years ago, and, and I hope that it'll help us in Colossians chapter 3. I think the goal of the Christian life is to do this, okay? My position's lofty, unchanging, unwavering. It's, it's incredible, okay? I, I'm righteous and holy and, and spotless and blameless and all these great words that I am in Christ because of Christ. And then my practice is, right? My practice wavers. Some days I'm reading more Bible, some days not so much. Some days I'm praying, some days not so much. Some days I care about souls and don't want them to go to hell, some days I care about me. You understand what I'm saying? That's your practice. And your practice is up a little bit and down a little bit, and up a little bit and down a little bit. Now that's not the way it should be. Our practice should just be like this, a continual growth. But that's not us. Right? We're like yo-yos. How do you like that? I'm a yo-yo Christian. We are. We're up and down. Up and down. Up and down. I have moments where I'm closer to the Lord and moments where I'm not so close to the Lord. And it shouldn't be that way, right? But my position all along the way, it's not changing. So the goal of the Christian life ought to be this. There's a, a gap here. Okay? Whether you believe in the gap or not, this is a real, you've you got to believe in this gap. Okay? You have to. We're not going to argue about the other one right now. That's a different time. But this gap, okay? You know what you got to do? you got to close the gap. Okay? This doesn't change. So that's not what we're worried about. That's settled. The position in Christ is settled. God did that part. But here's your responsibility. And you know the Bible talks about it, the rapture of the church, the blessed hope that we're going to be changed do you know the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that we're going to be made like Jesus? So one day God's going to finish the work of closing the gap. So way out here somewhere, wherever you are here, if you're saved, gap's going to be closed. But how about now? How, what, wouldn't it be neat? Wouldn't it be a blessing? I, I know this is going to sound strange because it sounds strange for me to say it. Before I even say it, it sounds strange, so I know it's going to sound strange. But wouldn't it be neat... If we could go ahead and close that gap so much that when the rapture of the church happens, the Lord says, wow, not much of a change needed here. Wouldn't that be, shouldn't that be your goal to strive? I mean, the Bible says, and Calvinists messed this up, but we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. One day I'm going to be like Jesus. But wouldn't it be a blessing if you started that now? Why wait? I understand the concept of waiting on God. That's, I'm not contradicting waiting on God. What I'm saying is, why wait to be like Christ when God has given you everything you need to be like Him now? And so I think Colossians chapter 3 is telling you how to close the gap. To make your practice align with your position. We don't want to change our position, right? We're thankful for that. Thank God for the position. But what about my practice? And so here's what God does in verse number five. He says, mortify therefore your members which are upon earth. You need to kill some things. 
You need to put some things to death in your life. Come on, every one of us, let's be honest, there are some things in our lives that need to die. And we don't need to resurrect them. Are you, are you bad about that? Like maybe sometimes I am where you, you, you kill something and then you think, well, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad. And you revive it and you think, oh my goodness, I should have left it dead. Right? Are you all that way at all? Where you, you, you cut off something in your life and then you get to thinking, well, you know, maybe in a little moderation. That, that's my, my mind says, well, you know, back then you did it big time. But now if you just did a little bit, it's not that bad. Just bring it back to life for just a little bit of time with that. And you find out, man, I should have just left that thing dead. I, I'd say every one of us could walk away from here saying, I need to kill some stuff. You might not want to say that out loud, out there. Because the world might take that a little different than we're taking it in the context, okay? You might just not want to go out there and say, I need to kill something today. But amongst friends, we get it, okay? We get it. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Oh, my goodness. I don't even like using these words, you know, uh, sexual. I don't like that stuff. But man, we are, we are consumed with the sins of the flesh. Amen. And it's killing our minds. We're worried about drugs coming across the borders in our country. But I'm telling you, the, the, the greater drugs are the things getting put into the minds of, of, of our people. And, and now it's starting at such a young age. Children know things. They sh they've got no business. Got, they know things adults don't need to know. We need to put some things to death. He said uh, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, covetousness. All these things need to be put to death. And here's what God said. He said the truth is the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience for doing those things. Now, I don't want to get into a fight here, but I'm not appointed to wrath. But God says when lost people do these things, the wrath of God comes on them. Saved people do them. You know what God does to us? He chastens us as a son to try to bring us back in the way. Do you understand chastening? The, the root of that word is chaste. God's desire when he chastens you is to make you chaste. He wants to purify you. He wants to clean you up. We've told our children this when we disciplined them. We were just having this conversation on the way up here. We said it is more, uh, it does hurt us more to discipline our children than it hurts them. And I think it was my son said, that's not possible. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you, you wait till you have a, I know it sounds crazy because every, every parent has passed that phrase down to the next generation. And the parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And we're all, okay, sure it is. Sure it is. And then you become a parent and say, oh my goodness. It, it's true. It's true. It breaks your heart to have to chasten your children. If, you, if you're doing it the right way, you don't just say, oh, this is going to be a blast. I cannot wait to wear that boy up. That's, a, that's not right. You understand? You're not doing this in the right spirit. You go in there and you say, Lord, this is, I don't want to do this. I hate this. I, I, I just, I'm doing it because I know it's right. But it's not pleasurable in my heart to do this. I'm glad God chastens us. Do you wonder, do you ever wonder, does it hurt him more than it hurts us? I don't know. I don't know. If he said it, I would, I'd say, wow, I don't believe that. Because right? that's what we do. 
What a gracious God that he, he corrects us. But the Bible's saying when lost people do these things, the wrath of God comes on them. Why would you want to do things that makes God want to pour out wrath on people? That's horrible. Why would saved people act like lost people? And here's what he said. I mean, this is the expectation of God. In the which ye also walked. That's past tense. Sometime when ye lived, past tense, in them. You used to walk like that when you were unsaved. Why would you do that now? Stop doing that. Your position is fixed. Now you've got to work on your practice. And look what he said here in verse 8. He said, but now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice. See, here's what I think. I think a lot of Christians in verse number 5, they say, oh, you know, that's not a bad list. I don't line up with any of that. And then you get to verse number 8. But now ye also put off all these. Anger. Oh, anger's not bad, right? I mean, the Bible does say be angry. Yeah, but you've got to understand the context. There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. There's a good chance... When the husband's yelling at the wife at home, screaming at her, or she's screaming at him, that's not the righteous anger. Good chance. Okay? Good chance. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, I don't know if that happens here. It happens where we live. And you, you start getting mad and yelling at them. That's probably not righteous. Okay? The Lord said, thou shalt not pull out in front of me. Okay? No. No. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Filthy. You say, what's that? It's anything that's not clean. And by the way, I don't think that's just curse words. I think there's more that's filthy than just curse words. Here's what he said in verse number 9. Lie not one to another. <laughs> Do you all have white lies here? You know, where people tell a lie, but it's just a, a little bitty lie. It's not a bad lie. It's a white lie. Y'all do that here? It, it's, it's, it's a lie. Do y'all ever lie? Yeah. All the time. You're a bunch of liars. You ever do that? Anybody ever call you on the phone and say, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Is that true? <laughs> you say, well, that's not a lie. Okay, then you're going to have to help me. Because in my mind, the simplicity of my mind says, if, it, if I'm not telling the truth, I'm lying. So if there's some gray area, please, by all means, help me. It would help my conscience. Because I, 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 I preached on this one time, and then when somebody would call, I, I get a stressed mess. Because, hey, are you busy? <laughs> And I've started to say, brother, I'm always busy, but I've got, I, I will make time. And then you feel bad because you're telling the brother on the phone, I'm busy. And he says, oh, well, no, I don't want to bother you. No, 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 come on. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to tell you the truth. You ask me if I'm busy. I'm trying to tell you the truth, but I'm not trying to tell you. I don't want to talk to you. And you've got to go through this five-minute spiel just to try to tell the truth. <laughs> we lie to each other all the time. Come on, it's, that's true. What I just said is true. People lie to each other all the time. And the Bible just commanded you to stop doing that. Because in your position, everything about you is true. In your practice, sometimes that's not correct. And so he said, you need to stop lying to each other. Ouch. Right? 
And you say, well, no, that he, what he meant, what it means in the Greek is big lies. Okay, big lies. <laughs> I don't know about that. Because in our perfect Bible, it just says, it doesn't say, do not tell big lies to each other. It says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Because you're saved, it's time you start telling the truth. <laughs> Can you imagine, I mean, this week, some lady's going to, you know, she's going to get her dress on and she's going to come out to her husband and say, honey, does this look good? <laughs> and the husband's going to lie. He's going to say, baby, that is the perfect color for you. I don't know that there's a... I mean, what are you going to tell her? No, actually, it looks pretty rough. Could you just turn around and go back and, and change? You see what I'm saying? It's a tough... You say, well, my, my wife never... Yeah, okay. Okay. We're just going to move on for your sake and my sake, okay? Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. So... Can I just, I, don't, I probably shouldn't say this. One, one man said, uh, you know, his wife came out and said, honey, does this dress make me look fat? And, and he said, no, honey, it's not the dress. <laughs> That's, I would tell you, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Do not ever do that, okay? Okay. <laughs> But I, I don't know whether he was trying to tell the truth. I don't know what he was doing, okay? Let's move on. It says, You have put off the old man, verse number 9, with his deeds, and have put on the new man. And I want you to watch this. The new man that's inside of you, the Bible says, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There is a new man inside of you that is like Jesus. Right? Is that not what it says? It's after the image of him that created him. This new man was created by God. This new, new man that's inside of you is like him. And, and this is where the Bible goes into, uh, you know, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, all this kind of stuff. You know, sometimes these people take this stuff out of context and say where there's neither male nor female. That's not the point of what the Bible's talking about. In Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Okay, practically on this earth, it matters. It helps you decide what bathroom to use, a whole lot of different things. Who to marry, there's a whole lot of stuff, okay? But look at verse number 12. Put on, therefore, all these, we've got this truth that we've put on the new man, but now practically we need to put on, it says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Here's what you need to put on, bowels of mercies. You're going to have to learn to be merciful. Kindness. The preacher just talked about kindness. We've got to learn to be kind to people. Just because you're saved and a King James Bible believer doesn't mean you can be an arrogant, hateful person. Okay? I understand that's... Sometimes Christians wear that as a badge of honor. I don't think that's a badge of honor to put on. Amen. I think the Bible says we're to be kind. You say, what is kind? Well, if you look in the first few chapters of Genesis, it, it talks about producing after its kind. We use the word uh, kinsfolk or kindred. It's treating people like family. 
I don't know if this is true for you folks, but uh, we have this a lot where folks will get mad at the church and leave. Okay, they do that from time to time. And we've, in our area, we've got so many of them, they can, they can do it. And the guy next door will take them. He won't even ask any questions. He'll just take them because his church is growing now off somebody else's church. Okay? But here's what I've learned about these people. These folks can get in an argument with a family member and say all sorts of hateful things back and forth. Okay? Two sisters fighting it out. And sisters fight unfair. It's really weird how sisters fight. I don't know if that's you. We've got some sisters in our church. They will tackle each other. We've got one pair of sisters that will, like, one will run at the other, tackle her. They'll flop over a bed and bump into a dresser and then get up and hug. Wow. Okay? But here's what I've learned. People will fight with family and then shake it off and move on. But get in a fight with a brother or sister in Christ and say, you're probably not even saved. Break fellowship and they're done. The Bible says we're to be kind. We are to treat each other like we would treat family. You know, you've always heard blood's thicker than water and all. Well, yeah, okay. Then let's, ha- let's talk about the blood of Christ, which unites us together. That's pretty thick, right? So if somebody makes you mad in this body of believers... Right after you tackle each other across the bed and bump into the dresser, get up and hug. Get over it. Love each other beyond that. You understand? You may have little disagreements. Okay, fine. Have the disagreement. But at the end of the day, you're, you're a brother and sister in Christ. Get over it. Move on with your life. And the Bible says this is helping us with our, uh, our practice, right? He says, okay, we've got to put on kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. That means you suffer a long time with people. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, you got a problem with somebody? Okay, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Your position, you're forgiven completely, entirely. God's not saying, well, I forgave you 99% of the things, but. No, and God's not saying, oh yeah, you remember that stuff five years ago I forgave you for? Let's bring it back up. You ever have somebody do that to you? Well, I forgave you, but you remember five years ago, if you're bringing up what I did five years ago that I asked for forgiveness and you said you granted forgiveness, you're bringing that back up, you're doing the work of Satan, not the work of God. Because Satan is the accuser of the, the brethren, right? That's not God. That's Satan. Whose work are you doing? God help us. God, that'll help your marriage, right? If you could get that, your marriage is going to be great. Because you're not going to be bringing up, well, five years ago, you forgot my birthday. Yeah, but I said I was sorry, and you said you forgave me. That's in the past. Let's not go back there. Let's deal with right now. God help us. All right, so he says, uh, verse 14, above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts uh, uh, to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, here's what I want to say, okay? I, I've just got just a few minutes left. Here's what I would like to say to you. We rarely get the context 
for what we're reading in verse number 16, 17, and the rest of the chapter. We rarely get the context. Because topically, we just jump in right here and we say, okay, look, we're supposed to be singing these things. And maybe we'll talk about that later in the week. We're supposed to be singing these right songs, these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're supposed to be singing it the right way with grace in our hearts. And we start right there in verse number 16. And we move on down to verse number 17. And then we, maybe a different time, we come along and we say, okay, we're going to deal with verse number 18 down through the rest of the chapter. But I'm telling you that in the context... In the context, the Lord is telling you that you need to start aligning your practice with your position in Christ. And so then we come to a passage like verse number 18. And uh, these things begin to touch on your home life. These things begin touching on your work life. We've already, to some degree, touched on our church life. So why should I concern myself with being a good husband? Why should a lady concern herself with being a good wife? Why should a child concern himself or herself with being a good child? Why should a man concern himself with being a good father? Why should a, an employee be concerned with being an, a good employee? Why should a boss be concerned with being a good boss? Because we're trying to align our practice to our position. So in verse number 18, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, but watch as it is fit in the Lord. You've, you've submitted to the Lord in your position. But now God gave you a husband on this earth. And you need to submit, not to everybody's husband. Isn't that a blessing how the Bible says that? It doesn't say, wives, submit yourselves to all men. That is not what that says. The ladies should be waving hankies or something right now, okay? You say, well, if you knew my husband, you'd understand why I'm not getting overly excited. Okay, fair enough. But the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. And by the way, that doesn't say, wives, make your husband put you in a headlock so that you will submit. It's an act of your will. Yes, sir. And, and people say, well, you know, submission's hard. Of course it is. Back, you know, back in the day, I used to, I hate to tell you this, but you know, sometimes you, you tell things that, for, for example's sake. I, I used to watch, uh, you know, wrestling, okay? And they, they, I, I never saw a time where a guy puts a guy in, a, you know, maybe a sleeper hold or something like that. And the guy says, you know, I really want to give up, so I'm just, I'm just going to. No, the idea of submission is it's not something I would just normally do, but I'm going to do it. Okay? So they don't, they don't ring the bell and they say, I submit. I'm out of here. Okay? So ladies say, well, you know, I don't really want to do this. That's the point of submission. If you agree on everything, you're not really submitting. Do you understand that? This is going over really well. Okay. Our church in Knoxville, Tennessee, believe it or not, is, is, we call it a Yankee church because we've got a lot of northerners to come down. We're really quiet. Okay. Kind of like you guys are quiet. So, but this is like next level quietness okay there's normal quietness and then there's next level quietness 
So, ladies, if your husband says, I, if your husband says, I believe it is the will of the Lord for us to go do this, and you say, you know what, I totally agree with that, we're going to do it. That's not even submission. Submission is where your husband says, I believe the Lord wants us to do this, and you say, mm, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to follow because the Bible tells me to. Do you understand the difference? Positionally, you're surrendered to Christ. You're in Him. But on this earth, God says, I gave you a husband. You need to submit to Him as it is fitting. If He's telling you, God, I know God said this, but we're going to do this. No, that, the higher authority always wins. Do you understand that? He says in verse number 19, and ladies, I, I think ladies sometimes think, oh, verse number 18 is really hard. Verse number 19 is so easy. Well, you're not a husband always having to love his wife. Sometimes it might not. I know you're all so lovable. It's so easy. You can't imagine how every man in the world wouldn't just be delighted to be your husband for the rest of his life. But there are some, you have good days. You have not so good days. There are days when you're lovable and it's so easy. And you just say, oh, the man says, this is great. I'm so honored to be married to this woman. And then there are other days, what happened to my wife? Did aliens come in while we were sleeping and take over her body? Why is her head spinning in the manner in which it is spinning? I don't remember that yesterday. And here's what the Bible said. Husbands, and let, me, let me get this. It doesn't say husbands feel like loving your wives. It doesn't say husbands fall in love with your wives. It says husbands love. That's a commandment. Love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, I don't really want to deal with the last part of verse number 19 because it's offensive. But it's almost like the Lord expected that there could be times where men could get bitter against their wives. And you may not like that truth. I might not like that truth, but it's, it's right there. And so God got ahead of it. And he said, I need you to love her. And I need you to not get bitter against her. Whatever happens, you love that woman. And by the way, love is a choice. It's not the feelings. We just talked about this last night, right? The joy of feeling comes at the end. If you choose to love your wife like you're commanded to do, you do it first in your heart and mind. You do it next outwardly in deeds. And you know what comes along with that? Beautiful feelings. You walk in the room and you see her and you go, wow, that's my wife. Right? That's not the first thing. That's the result. And so the Bible said, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, we love this. Obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. See, all of this passage is telling us you need to take your practice on this earth and you need to align it. If ye then be risen with... That's what he started, right? Is that not how he started? If ye then be risen with Christ. If this is true of you, then here's how you need to start acting. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Okay? So, uh, obedience. Uh, for example, you say, I need you to go clean your room. That doesn't mean 
well, I don't want to do it right now. I'll do it later. No, it means if they told you to do it, you got to go do it now. You say, but first I need to, no, you don't need to first go and bury your dead. You need to go clean your room. Okay. I told you to do something. You need to do it and you need to do it right now. And by the way, you need to do it in the right spirit. I told my, my oldest son, I said, uh, I said, buddy, I said, let me tell you a little, a, a nasty secret about life. Okay. Right now, the consequences are so small and the commandments are so small and, and the, the job is so small. I said, but one of these days you're going to become a, a man. And the consequence of you not cleaning your room right now is a dirty room and, and a whipping. Big deal. But the consequence of you not showing up at work on time is you're fired, you're hungry, your wife's looking at you like, what are we going to do for food? Big deal. So if you can't figure it out now, it's going to be hard to figure it out then. See, it, God's preparing you. He said, fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Man, we, we could spend a long time there. We don't have the time. I, I got to be done. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You ever, I mean, we, we've traveled, goodness, we were on the road for 22 hours. Um, you stop in places to get food, and there are some people that are so happy to do their jobs. There was this one lady, a little, little bitty old lady, and she was coming by. We were at a Chick-fil-A, and I guess at Chick-fil-A, like, there's some sort of indoctrination where you got to say, my pleasure, and, you know, all this, you got to be nice to people and stuff like that, or else maybe they tell you to go look for a job somewhere else. I don't know what the rule is. I just like it, okay? And this little old lady, she's coming out. Oh, would you like some more to drink? What is going on here? This is like a fancy restaurant. There are fresh flowers on the table. What has happened to Chick-fil-A? And I guess it was North Dakota. I'm like, what is going on with this? They should call Tennessee and tell them this stuff. Fresh flowers. We're looking at them. We're touching them. I'm picking them. In Chick-fil-A, I feel like I'm on a date at a fancy restaurant. And this lady says, would you all like some more to drink? Are you kidding me? Of course we would like more to drink. Do you want me to get your... Well, we don't need you to get our trays, but I mean, if you want to, and you're just, wow, I think that lady likes what she's doing. And you go up to some people, uh, I, yeah, I would like a cheeseburger without a pickle. <sighs> okay, you said a burger. Did you say cheese? Yeah, yeah, yeah please, I'd like some cheese. Okay. Yeah. No pickle, you know, and you're like, Am I bothering you by being here right now? You know, and we've got, for our family, we've got a rule. If you're closing in an hour, we don't go to your restaurant. That's just, our, we don't want to do that, okay? So I'm not talking about walking in five minutes before they close and they're mad at, I, that's a different kind of situation. I'm talking about some people just hate everything they do. And, and I've got to be honest with you. There were days when I worked out in the world that I went to work and I hated life. I hated what I was doing. I hated everything. And I'm certain my attitude stunk. And I am certain that none of those people that worked around me said, we ought to get what he's got. Where do you go to church, brother? We'd like to come to your church. I'm certain that didn't happen. Because my attitude was horrible. You say, well, I hate what I do then don't hate who you're doing it for. You're doing it for God. 
get your practice in line with your position. And then he said this in verse number 24, I'm, I'm done. He said, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward. You see that? One of these days. And everything in our life is going to be that position. And he said, one of these days you're going to get a reward. And here's the reason why you need to keep that in your mind. You're serving the Lord Christ. You see that? Guys, we need to figure out how to align our practice to our position. And that is a daily effort on our part. And it, it happens most in your home and where you work and where you go to church. And if everybody in your home says you are nothing like Christ, you've got work to do. If people on your job say you're nothing like Jesus, you've got work to do. God help us. God help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much Amen. for your word. Lord, we do thank you for what Christ has done for us and the righteousness that we enjoy because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But Lord, if we're risen, if we're saved, if that is truly our position, then we ought to begin to examine our practice. And moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, we ought to get our practice cleaned up. So that our practice looks more like Christ. So God, I pray you'd help your people here this morning to walk as though we're saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.